Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Northumberland County Council took in about $119 million in 2020 and spent about $107 million. Those are some pretty big numbers. It also had a surplus of $12 million. And yet your taxes went up. Do you know where all that money went? Most residents don't. Well, we're going to fix that on today's show. Jennifer Moore, the Chief Administration Officer for the county, is going to explain all that and more. The county's annual report for 2020 was recently released. It contains all the details of what the county does with your tax dollars, plus the money it gets from other levels of government. She will also tell us what's going on with affordable housing, economic development, and the efforts to save the tourism industry. By the end, you should have a better understanding of what the county's been up to for the past year. I'm so pleased to have with me today Jennifer Moore, the Chief Administration Officer for the County of Northumberland. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thank you, Rob. It's it's always fun to, to participate in the conversation. The annual report is a summary of activities over the year. Now, one of the big, uh, biggest items is always the budget. The county took in around $119 million and spent about $107 million. So where did that money come from and where did it get spent? Uh, well, uh, that, that is a, a, a complex answer. Uh, when we look at uh, where the money comes from, um, it comes from multiple sources, a, a bit, pretty much exactly half of it comes from local property taxes assessed by the county. So that's very consistent year over year that it's about half of our budget comes from property taxes. The the other half, um, uh, the largest portion of it comes from uh, other levels of government, primarily the province uh, grants that we receive and subsidies for various programs. And then the smaller amounts come from um, things like user fees. So garbage bag tags and um, fees at, at our uh, community recycling centers. Um, there's um, social housing rent. There's rents for um, 860 William property. So there, there, there's some other um, you know, permits for uh, plumbing inspection. So those are smaller amounts, but the two, the, the two biggest items are property taxes and uh, grants and subsidies from the province. When we look at expenditures, um, of course, they go into all of our um, main programs and services. So each one of our departments um, have their 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 budgets. So obviously, um, we see our largest expenditure with social services programming. Um, that includes um, all of the administration of the Ontario Works program, um, early years programming, uh, our affordable housing, um, the rent geared to income units, maintenance of those. Uh, so all everything that falls into that food security, um, out, outreach, homelessness supports, all of those things fall in there. Uh, when we look at um, our transportation uh, waste and facilities department, 
another uh, large budget um, department. Of course, that's where the majority of our capital expenditures are. Um, we have uh, obviously the roads operations uh, as well as um, road um, major repair or expansion projects that we would do there for, for maintenance. Uh, we maintain all of our facilities and of course we operate uh, recycling plant, transfer stations, um, recycling centers, uh, collection and all of that. So large department. Um, and then we, um, we also have paramedics. We have our uh, Golden Plow Lodge, our, our long-term care home, um, our, our healthcare um, uh, budgets and uh, are fairly significant. Uh, and then of course we get into some of our smaller um, departments and our, our <clears throat> excuse me, our back office um, support. So uh, IT, HR, um, finance, um, all of those, those things. Uh, we have our forest uh, that, that we maintain. We have economic development, tourism support. So <clears throat> uh, all of those expenditures of course make up uh, where the funds do go. Now, the report also tells us that there was a $12 million surplus. That's uh, 10% of the revenues. Why wasn't those, those monies used to reduce the taxes people pay? So, so some of the, the accounting, um, we, we have to comply for our reporting um, with the public sector uh, accounting standards. And, and those standards, um, they're, they're not always obvious, I guess, to a non-accountant. Uh, some, some of what we refer to as surpluses um, are, are, is not necessarily money in the bank. Um, you know, it, we, we rep do our financial reporting on an accrual basis. Uh, it's not on a cash basis. So there are a number of factors uh, where we will um, assess taxes um, and those monies can go into uh, capital improvements and, and they will um, show up on our statement of financial position um, and, and there'll be assets that are beneficial for many years. Um, there will be monies that go into reserve because we're, um, we're basically saving up for a, a future project. So those monies are set aside and maybe to go towards building the long-term care home or they, they be saved for a, a bridge replacement or um, perhaps to, to purchase equipment. So those monies get uh, taxed um, in one year and then they're set aside um, for larger projects. So there's, there's a lot of things that go to, to actually creating a surplus um, on a cash basis. It's quite simple. On a cash basis, it you know it's simply your your revenues minus expenses or a surplus. Uh, but when we look at reporting on an accrual basis, um, there are many more things that are taken into consideration for the the financial statements that are are produced. So throughout the year, we often talk about um, how we're performing. We do quarterly updates to council, and that's more um, on a cash basis. So we're actually talking about how we're performing um, throughout the year in, in the money that we're bringing in and the money that's going out. But when we do our, our financial statements at the end of the year, um, it does take into consideration those longer term items, reserves and all of those kinds of things as well. So then it, it, could you then help us better understand in terms of money's coming in and money's going out? why it was necessary then to have a tax increase and, and where those monies go so that people can understand um, why that, the, the way that you just talked about it doesn't apply. The, the increases that we do, and, and, and I guess this is where when we look at the budgeting, it's kind of a blend of a cash and an accrual. Uh, so there's a certain amount of, of funds that we, we need in the year. Um, and there's so operating, you know, if we're going to plow the roads or if we're going to, you know, actually, you know, provide paramedic services, we have to pay wages to the paramedics and so on. So those things, of course, have to be levied on an annual basis or, or received through grants and subsidies. Uh, so, so we know that those operating dollars go out and they're pretty easy 
uh, I think for everybody to understand. It's like running your household. You have to spend certain money on groceries and you have to pay your hydro bill and, and all of those things. So we have all of those kinds of expenses too. And, and they're pretty easy to say every year we have to levy a tax for those expenditures and, and that money is gonna flow out for all of those, those types of, of costs. Where we get into the, the saving up, um, that's I guess if, if it's for your household, you know, if you need to fix your roof or if you're saving up to buy a new car, um, you can either save up some money or you can borrow money and we, we make those same decisions. So we will levy some taxes uh, and we might set some aside like a, a savings account um, in theory uh, so that we, we know we've got it maybe all or part of money for a larger project. So we don't want to dip into those funds um, by artificially reducing uh, the tax levy in a given year. We want to make sure that we, we keep those aside so that when we need to access them, access them they're there. So we, we leave those uh, untouched. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't also have emergency funds. Um, you know, some of those reserves might be uh, to help re relieve taxes in, in a year. So we've uh, for many years had a reserve fund set up for um, winter maintenance. So if we had a very severe winter, rather than um, you know, assess taxes uh, higher than normal, we might dip into that reserve and then replenish it over time. So we have different types of reserves to try and stabilize the taxation. And some of it we do for longer term savings. Some of it are rainy day funds or emergencies if we had a, an unplanned um, event that, that we can access. So it's a combination of things. And when we create the, the annual tax levy, we want to make sure that we're looking at all of the, the, the items that we need to fund within the operating year, as well as set aside some savings for the future for other projects. Uh, also, we, we need to levy if we borrowed money, we need to make sure we include how we're going to pay that debt in the current year and, and, and what is owing there. So um, we, that's, we put all of those factors um, into our decision making when we're budgeting. Uh, and then, of course, we have to consider other things like are there changes in service levels that are required? Is there growth? So do we have you know, more houses that we have to stop and collect garbage from? Is there um, you know, changes in legislation from the province where maybe our, our services are required to change because of legislative requirements? And those things are factored in. And when we decide there's gonna be a one or a 2% increase in taxes, those things go into to shape that as well. What do you see as the highlights of this report? Uh, the highlights are always the the, the fun part. Um, when we do the annual report, it's uh, it's in two pieces. Um, I, my, my background is accounting, so uh, I get excited with the the back half. That's where we actually have the audited financial statements. Uh, so that is all the the nitty gritty details uh, about um, the expenditures. The front half, I think, is what um, most people would prefer to read. That's where we have the summaries. Uh, we talk about the, the major projects that we had on the go, uh, and, and we have some of that, that overview and, and some reminders about the services that the county provides. So um, in that part, there's lots of um, just highlights. We talk about our four pillars. Uh, so we have our economic prosperity and innovation. Uh, some of the, the exciting things that we had going on there was uh, affordable housing. Uh, we've got the Elgin Park project that um, we should break ground on before the end of this year. Uh, we started planning for our Ontario Street in, in Coburg. Uh, 
um, a housing development there. So those are very exciting and, and much needed. Uh, a lot of progress in 2020 on those. Um, we saw, of course, a lot around um, response to the pandemic. So we had the Economic Development Task Force uh, working, a lot of support for entrepreneurs, some digital um, Northumberland work that happened, uh, a lot around tourism supports. Uh, so those things were all pretty key. When we look at our pillar of sustainable growth, uh, of course, our, our big our big project is the Golden Plow Lodge and, and the, uh, the uh, NCAM uh, with the Museum and Archives. Uh, that, of course, broke ground at the very end of 2020, uh, December. We just under the wire to say it was 2020. Uh, so that, of course, is, is uh, a very big accomplishment to get through all the design and approvals and, and all of that work that, that happened uh, through uh, 2020. So very excited to see that uh, going on. Uh, we had some changes to waste management. We launched the Recycle Right program, um, and that that's there uh, and fully operational now. So that sees um, waste uh, a significant improvement in diversion, uh, about five percent improvement in diversion, which is very exciting. Um, we did a lot of work on uh, broadband to, to try and look at our needs there. Uh, we opened up the Trent Hills Emergency Services base, which was a joint project with uh, Trent Hills Fire and our paramedics. Of course, we did roads and construction projects, bridge work, road paving, all of those kinds of things. Um, thriving and inclusive communities is our third pillar. Uh, we had a lot there. And, and again, back to a lot of supports related to the pandemic with the launch of you know, the, the Northumberland Eats program. We saw warming rooms that we operated um, through the pandemic, um, some, some work to launch um, new transitional housing um, to, to assist with that program. Uh, the province was driving some Ontario Works modernization that uh, we did a lot with. We, um, we received funding for a community paramedicine program that we had not had previously. Um, so getting some more healthcare supports and that of course um, linked in very closely to our membership with the Ontario um, Health Team Northumberland. Uh, we also kicked off an Indigenous advisory circle that's working closely with the Northumberland County um, Archives and, and Museum and, and the exhibits that will launch there. And then in our, our fourth and final pillar, we have, of course, leadership and change, and much of that is um, quite operational um, in nature. Um, uh, we talk again uh, there about the uh, Ontario Health Team Northumberland. We have uh, the Join in Northumberland for community consultation and engagement. Um, went out and did a lot of work to get funding, uh, improved our website, a number of things there. And, um, and our communications director said, if I had an opportunity to, to say that for our annual report last year, we did get a Marcom Gold Award. So we were quite proud of bragging about that for the annual report. So lot, lots of activities going on. And then of course, all of our day-to-day -day operations. The pandemic was obviously a central focus for the county over the, the past year. In what ways did it impact the activities of county staff and council? And how big an impact was it? Uh, you know, it, it, looking back, it's um, it it at times it was quite crazy, but uh, I think it's it's all of, all a blur. And 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 you think about how many things that we were able to to do um, for the county. Uh, almost all of our operations had to continue. Uh, the services that we deliver are essential services. Uh, we we did not have um, much of a choice. Some of those services were, were altered a little bit in how we delivered them, but nonetheless, we did have to make sure that they still happened. 
Um, I think that uh, we saw, you know, obviously from a council perspective, they had to go to virtual meetings. Uh, so that was the, the biggest change uh, for council. And, and, you know, that, that certainly um, has its pros, pros and cons. I think um, it was nice for the public to be able to log in from their home and, and see those meetings. Um, but certainly we all know communication uh, virtually isn't always as easy as it is when you're all sitting face to face in a meeting room. So um, that was probably the biggest challenge from a, a governance perspective. Uh, when we look at operations, all of our departments were impacted. Um, Golden Plow Lodge in long-term care was probably um, the most impacted. And, and we're finally just seeing now, um, you know, obviously it, it's um, widely communicated through the media, but some of those um, preventive measures are just starting to be eased with um, more visitors and, and, um, and those sorts of things being allowed. But uh, very challenging for the staff there. Um, the protocols that were, were implemented um, to, to keep everyone safe uh, were quite challenging at times. But, um, you know, fortunately, we did not have a single resident um, that, that was COVID positive. So we kept um, all of our residents healthy throughout the pandemic. Um, and we're, we're quite proud of that. The staff did a fabulous job. Um, and, and it certainly was a challenge to, to go through those times. Uh, the paramedics also, obviously, um, you know, again, in healthcare, um, it, it certainly changed the way they, they operated, but they had to be there uh, each and every day delivering those, those services. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is that the public would see that their PPE changed. Uh, they, they wore a lot more PPE from um, more masks and gowns, um, as well as um, even um, some of the, uh, the, the filtered breathing that we were able to provide to them. So a, a, a lot there in, in what, um, what changed cleaning protocols and stuff to, to make sure that they were absolutely top of the line. Um, not that they didn't do all of those things before, but of course had to, to step it all up. Uh, when we get into our other departments, um, you know, waste management, we, we had to make a, a few tweaks there. We did uh, close our community recycling centers briefly, but um, then reopened and we've continued to, to keep them open. Uh, very minor changes in household hazardous waste um, and how that worked, but we, we were able to keep up curbside collection uh, each and every week. We did not miss. Um, so all of those uh, operations continued. Same with roads. We had to plow the roads. Fortunately, we had a mild, mild winter, but um, all of those things uh, continued. And, and even through the construction uh, season, we were able to do all of that through the pandemic. Um, and, and we really, um, through, through roads, facilities, um, except for a few minor projects where we had to be in close contact with um, housing um, tenants and that sort of thing, everything else was able to continue. Um, when we look at social services, probably that's where we saw the largest um, public facing impact. Uh, of course, we, we did keep our offices, um, we, we limited access, but they were open for those that needed uh, any supports. We, we made sure that, that it was there, more virtual interaction, but still the services um, were available. So we did have to uh, get involved in moving the shelter. And I think that uh, received a, a fair bit of attention uh, moving into the high school for a few months to make sure that uh, folks had that. And then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, opening up the warming rooms to ensure that people had a safe place to get out of the weather through the, the cold months. Um, but uh, all, of those, all of those supports worked well excellent relationships with community partners. Uh, we received a fair bit of funding from the province to assist us to, to get through that. And, and then when you looked at, you know, back office services, again, adapted, but um, some staff were able to work from home, either all or part-time. Uh, 
our IT department was fabulous in making sure that uh, staff had the resources to, to keep up um, all of the services uh, from a remote location, if that was the, the best thing to get the numbers down in, in our buildings to have distancing. So um, it was a crazy busy year. Uh, we were very excited that we uh, certainly participated and supported um, doing testing with paramedics at the assessment centers, uh, you know, involved in supporting doing call-outs to our 80 plus folks uh, for the vaccination kickoff. So we, you know, we did get to play a role um, in doing some, some new things to support our community. But uh, all in all, it's been um, very busy, uh, very exciting, uh, but very proud of, of how staff were able to step, step up and be really creative in how we could continue to meet the needs of our residents. Food security, the ability of people to have regular sufficient supply of food to eat. How did the Food for All warehouse contribute to the demand? And I also understand there was some partnerships between yourselves and North Thermal United Way that provided some new uh, initiatives. Can you tell us about that aspect? Absolutely. Food security is has been a, a challenge in, in our community for, for many, many years. And um, it's certainly not... Um, we're not seeing that that change. If anything, those needs are, are continuing to increase. Uh, the, the Food for All is uh, a partner with all of the um, the agencies and, and you know the food banks and and um, other community agencies that that get involved in in providing meals or or that sort of thing. Um, they they delivered. I think it was about 1.3 million pounds of food. I think was the the number that went through the the Food for All last year. Uh, they continue to work with. Um, agencies and, and community partners to make sure that we have a, a variety of food that, that meet the needs and, and go out to what the highest priority items are uh, in the community, um, looking to access fresh food where they can as well. Uh, so they, they kept that up and continued their operations uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, you mentioned that the partnership with United Way, that was a, a new program. Um, through some provincial funding, it was able to be launched for the first time called Northumberland Eats. Uh, and once it was up and running, uh, the United Way has um, taken over the operation of that. That is a voucher program, um, and, and it is vouchers that are distributed through a wide range of community partners um, where, um, you know, it could be our own social services, it could be other um, social services agencies, it could be police, it could be libraries, um, it, it, anyone who may be in contact with someone that they, they believe could um, benefit from assistance in, in, in food. There are a number of um, restaurants and, and some food providers, um, such as uh, small grocery stores that uh, have partnered and participated and they will accept those vouchers. Um, and um, folks in our community can take the voucher to uh, any, any business on that list of establishments and, and access food uh, with the voucher. Uh, and they can, if uh, they're able, they can uh, add to that with uh, their own monies if they would like, or they can, um, simply use what the value of the voucher is. And, and they can go out, sometimes they might have one or two vouchers um, or uh, larger if it's a family and, uh, and they can access that food. So um, very excited that this is a program that we hope will continue to grow um, in the future because it gives more choice and options uh, to those in, in need for food. I also understand too, there was a collaboration between the agri-foods and the food for all where they joined forces to provide a unique program. Again, uh, something that else that the county was doing for food security. Can you, can you just briefly tell us about that and how that worked? That was uh, food, uh, the, the preparation uh, and freezing of uh, soups that, that could be distributed in the community. Uh, so it, it was, again, um, it, you, 
when you, when you're um, facing a situation like like COVID, you get very creative, and um, we we think about all the resources that we have and, and the partnerships that we can build. So, um, at the Agri Food Venture Center, they have the that they have the ability to prepare those foods. Um, food for All has access to the the inputs and the and the the produce that needed to go in it, and, and um, they they did work together um, to produce those and then distribute them um, through through our networks. Now, you mentioned briefly in your overview about affordable housing, and this is a big area for the county. Um, and there were some big changes. You mentioned Elgin Park Project, which is a huge five-year program. And there's a brand new website that people can go to now to look for housing. These are all amazing programs. But the question becomes one that, that are these programs really moving the needle when it comes to reducing waiting lists for affordable housing? Well, that's that's certainly a, a, a complex question. Um, the, the county, what what we're trying to do with the, the developments that that we're creating now, and, and we've started to to see um, actually get to construction, uh, is really the most deeply affordable, uh, and and that's really where the county is looking at um, being a, an owner operator of of more affordable housing units. Um, that will expand our portfolio. We're looking at a slightly different um, model where we will have um, RGI units, but also some affordable and market rents. So that will help to impact um, the spectrum, the, the continuum of, of housing. Um, and and that, that is challenging to, to make a dent because those, as you said, those wait lists are, are long and they continue to grow. Um, we know there's challenges with simply the, the numbers of um, units available. Our, our rental market has been pretty much frozen with exceptionally low uh, levels of vacancy. So what we're seeing there are some other tools that we can can use through planning opportunities and some incentives. Um, we're, we're seeing our member municipalities um, look at, you know, and some of that's through provincial stimulation, some of it's through our, our own changes to planning, um, encouraging secondary suites so that it doesn't have to always be an apartment building. You know, can can homeowners use secondary suites to to help make their own home of more affordable as as well as create rental? Um, we're starting just now to see some of that happen a little bit more as um, it's becoming more permissible in legislation. So we're hoping that starts to move that needle uh, because it, um, it it certainly isn't something that the county can build all of the the, the units in the need are, ourselves. Um, we, you know, it, it's about private sector partners uh, and what they're able to do somewhere along that continuum of housing. Uh, we, we have seen um, a renewed interest in the area um, and, and hopefully some of those uh, potential developments that, you know, we, we see uh, applications and planning, they, they come in through our, our member municipalities, but um, there are some, um, some developments uh, for rental uh, as well as some, um, some more um, townhouse type developments that will be closer to the affordable rate. So um, a lot of that's in, in the pipeline and hopefully we see some of that um, start to, to move that needle. Unfortunately, um, through the last year, we've seen our housing prices go up substantially. Um, and we know a lot of that is pressure uh, from folks moving out of the GTA and moving this direction um, and that that's driving costs up further. So um, it, is, it is definitely a challenge there. Um, like I said, we're, we're trying to play our role um, for the most deeply affordable uh, and then um, certainly all of our member municipalities in, in the county looking at planning op opportunities to try and, and stimulate um, a little further along the housing continuum. 
when we um, when we look at also now we have launched an incentive program uh, where there is um, a, a per unit um, contribution that we'll make for private sector developers that want to do that. And, and we have funded that um, to hopefully stimulate about 50 units um, across the county um, that a private sector developer could access some funds um, to either construct or renovate units um, to create some more um, rental housing. So again, trying to have a diverse range of programs um, so that um, we can, can get a bit of um, uh, partnership with, with others so that it can't just be uh, government building units. It, it needs to be stimulating other sectors of the economy as well. I'd like to talk about economic development now. And, and there's been a lot of effort and resources placed in keeping businesses viable during the pandemic. There was the recovery task force, uh, was an early effort to stabilize the business environment. And you mentioned it in the annual report. Um, what is the current status of its recommendations, in particular, the, the demand for high speed as a cornerstone and, and some of the other things that the county has done to stabilize the local economy during the pandemic? Absolutely. Broadband is by far and away um, was was talked about by, by everyone um, for uh, being one of the highest needs uh, and particularly as we get outside our, our more urban urban centers. Uh, we have done uh, a, a lot of work uh, there to research the needs that was done through 2020. Um, we know there's about 14,000 uh, either unserved or underserved households uh, across the county. And uh, there are uh, funding opportunities that were open and, and we have, um, we have um, made some, some application there. We will see where, where that lands. We, we don't know yet um, where that will go. Uh, we also know that um, there's been announcements, I guess as recently as about a week or so ago with the province um, looking at uh, other funding opportunities. And of course, um, we continue to be in close contact with all of those um, whether it be uh, provincial federal um, funders or whether it be the private sector uh, partners that can come into our community and potentially provide broadband. Um, we're in constant contact with, with all of them to um, look at the information that we have and how we can, um, can start to um, move out into those unserved and underserved um, households, which of course um, would, would generate the broadband for businesses. So a lot of work has been done to, to, identify and nail down that need, as well as, as looking at ways that we can, can do that. Is it underground? Is it um, fixed wireless? Is it using the hydro poles? You know, so there's all different mechanisms of getting that out there. So um, really at this point, it's, it's making sure that we can come up with the right partnership and getting the funding um, so that we can start to move that. So it's very well understood. Um, also along the, the, the notion of the task force, it was uh, supports to, to get our businesses um, out and, and using um, online sales and promotion and those sorts of things. So uh, through our business entrepreneurship center, uh, there was, there's been programs running to help uh, local businesses uh, develop uh, websites or enhance their websites so that they could operate their businesses uh, through more online um, services. And, and we've seen a great uptake in that program. Uh, and we were seeing businesses that, you know, it's, it's probably going to be a, a change for them going forward that is, even as we've reopened, um, there is still going to be that move to, to online service. And this has given them a good jump start with some funding to, to do that. Um, the other um, area that is probably most frequently talked about around the task force um, is the, the tourism sector. Um, you know, that, that one's a, a little bit tough. 
uh, because we we've been doing a lot of a lot of work there. We want our businesses to be to to welcome back patrons, but we also know there's still a fair bit of hesitancy with who we're attracting into our community. Are they coming from areas where there's higher higher case rates and those sorts of things? So um, being very conscious of striking that balance to um, getting those businesses um, up and running a, a little more robustly than what they, they certainly have seen over the last number of months, but at the same time, um, making sure that we're, we're not um, putting our community at risk. So hyper-local tourism, um, trying to encourage uh, our own uh, residents to get out and about and, and visit some of those hospitality services, go to the local restaurants, go to the, um, you know, now that we have um, more of our, um, you know, little museums and those sorts of things are, are reopening and, and, you know, make sure that we go out and, and, and visit those sites. So those are some of the things that we're focusing on tourism or um, looking at our very close neighbors, um, you know, immediate counties um, adjacent to us that have similar COVID rates. So we'll, we are working so that we will um, have tourism uh, promotion and plans once we get a little bit further through, through the pandemic. Um, but all of that is sort of course has been developed and, and worked on. Another thing that you mentioned uh, in your earlier remarks was the major changes in waste collection and recovery. And at the end of 2019 was the introduction of the green bins and the recycle right programs. And it was actually implemented during the pandemic, which is not an actually an ideal time for any program. Yet at the same time, uh, there was a 5% increase in diversion. What can we expect coming out of the pandemic in this particular area? What we're seeing is um, a a lot more um, efficiency in the materials that are coming in. Uh, You know, we we have our I I Get Caught Recycle Right program that we're having some fun in the community now uh, to make sure that that education component is there so that um, residents really understand that the streams of recycling and and what happens is we can process much more efficiently through our recycling uh, plant. It also means that we have higher value product that we can sell uh, because it's cleaner, it's, it's easier to sort. Um, and, and it's purer when we're, we're sending it out to market. And, and that, of course, um, increases the, the revenue and um, better revenues uh, there mean, mean um, it it's not, doesn't have to be offset by, by levy. So that, that is one of the big incentives. Um, it also means we have a lot less residual when we go through the recycling process. Uh, residual is the materials that were contaminated. They didn't they should never have been put in a recycle bin because they weren't eligible under the program. They can't be resold on the, on the markets. Um, that residual goes to our landfill. So the more we can shrink our residual, the more capacity we have in our landfill. So those are some of the, the benefits of, of people actually using this program as, as it's intended, um, as well as the organics program now being in, in full swing. Um, and we're seeing that divert materials away from the landfill uh, as well. So all of those are good things. It's all about um, extending the life of our, our landfill. Um, and and we, we, you know, we want to make that last as long as we can. And, and that, that's what it's about. Um, we'll see future changes. Um, the province has uh, announced um, timelines that there will be uh, recycling changes as it moves to the producers. Um, that's a, still a couple of years out, but we will see more changes when that happens. So there probably won't be uh, a lot. Our program will remain fairly consistent over the next couple of years. Uh, and then we'll see how, um, when it moves to producers, whether there's there's any any changes there. But we, we should see our programs stabilize as far as a, how the users see them for the next little bit. Another thing that's mentioned in the report is the uh, Northumberland County Forest Master Plan. 
which uh, I know got approval in 2020 and, and is being implemented now in 2021. Um, we saw some controversy around that, though, with the Great Pine Ridge Snowmobile Association and yourselves being unable to strike a deal uh, for the use of the trails. What do you expect this year to be able to come to an agreement with, with the association and, and be able to get that settled in 2021? I, the, the position of county council is certainly that they, they hope to. We know that there are members of our community that, that would like to be able to use the trails uh, in the forest. Uh, we have come to agreements with two other user groups that are motorized users. Uh, they are using the trails now through the summer months. Um, they were quite pleased to agree to the, the terms in, in the, uh, the standard agreement that we developed. Uh, so we, we are hopeful that the Snowmobile Association will be able to um, align with, with what those other user groups are, are, um, are meeting now. Uh, I think the, the biggest concern um, is, is joint and several liability, and, and we have to balance the needs uh, and the risk for uh, all of the residents of the county. Uh, the current um, state of legislation in Ontario is that if there is an incident, it's that 1% liability that we talk about. And um, as the property owners, we, we look to have our higher risk users uh, indemnify the county against uh, potential claims as much as we possibly can to reduce the, the risk of future cost um, to, to county taxpayers through a large claim of some sort. Um, so the way to do that is through these types of agreements where we're very clear um, in the, the accountability of, of each party and, and, and who's responsible for what types of activities. So um, that's really what we're asking is, is for these uh, motorized user groups that for any activities relating to that type of, of motorized vehicle, that we want them to have an appropriate insurance coverage um, to, to deal with any potential future claims should there be an incident. So that's really the sticking point. We hope that we can resolve that. Um, I know there's there's a, a large snowmobile community. I know that there's some of our own staff that, that would like to be out there using those trails. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful area to be out and about in. And, and we certainly encourage um, all different types of uses in the forest. And um, we, we hope that um, the, the snowmobilers can use it in the wintertime. Uh, ATVs and dirt bikes are out there now using it um, in the summer months and, and they're working under those agreements. So we, we hope that we can, can get there. The other one was the closure of the Coburg Scout Reserve. And in the case of the Scout Reserve, why didn't staff recommend giving the group a break? You know, the pandemic was an unusual circumstance. They were having trouble raising their money. They didn't have the usual tools at their disposal. Why didn't you just let them stay and then figure out the money later? Uh, I, actually, that one, I, I think there was a, a bit of, um, there, there was maybe some misinterpretation there. There, there isn't a fee. Um, that the county charges the scout camp. Um, there, there is a lease arrangement. Um, it, it really is only that the scouts um, cover their, their own operating costs when they're there. Um, there isn't a rental cost to that. Um, it, it was something that we had that agreement in place. It was actually approved by county council. Uh, and then the, the scouts um, decided that they did not, they were electing not to renew uh, for their, their own, own reasons. Um, so when it came back to county council, um, it, I, I think that there was some uh, perception that, that we were not doing that. All we were doing was um, simply saying that the scouts had chosen not to um, sign that agreement because they, they didn't wish to proceed with using the property. Um, so it, it was not in any way initiated by the county. Um, 
we, we were quite happy to continue under the same terms and conditions that we had for many years. Uh, we'd had an excellent partnership with them. So um, that it, it was simply that they, they decided not, not to be there at this point in time. Do we know what's going to happen to that site uh, going in the future? Uh, no, we, we don't. Uh, we have um, started to, to look at uh, potential opportunities. Uh, obviously, it is within the forest and within the Oak Ridge's moraine. So um, very limited in the types of opportunities that, that we could pursue there. So uh, we're, we're in the process of, of looking at how that might be used or um, what services it, it might offer. But uh, it really will only be something that is very complementary to the forest um, and, and the environment that it's in. One of the other aspects of the master plan was uh, a proposal to start harvesting trees in the forest and allowing logging. It's referred to as timber sales, I think, in the report, and it's, it's scheduled to start this year. It, it, are those plans still going forward? Uh, actually, we've been doing timber sales for many years. Um, that, that has been underway. Uh, when we look at the forest department budget, they have had revenue um, in most years uh, from timber sales. It, it's been happening for, oh, I wouldn't get for many, for many years. I don't know when it started, but um, it, it is it is part of of um, the the forest management process, uh, and we do use uh, some of those revenues to contribute. Um, it is the tree. Certain trees are are marked um, each year, and certain areas of the of the forest are um, identified as um, as appropriate or, or that we would um, sell that that timber. It goes out to tender. It's a competitive process um, for the best price. Um, those, those timber revenues do uh, contribute to forest operations um, in their budget. Uh, and, and then um, those areas of the forest are, of course, um, they, they look to rejuvenate those areas um, back to um, the more natural um, types of, of trees that, that uh, should be there versus the, the plantation style that was planted um, with, you know, 100 years ago. Uh, so, so that's really um, part of the natural evolution of where the forest will go. Um, and the timber sales are, are part of that forest, forestry management as well as revenue generation at this point in time. What else can we expect from the county for the rest of 2021? Oh, we've got lots of stuff on the go. Uh, when we, we think of it this year, uh, of course, uh, you know, I, I'm, si I'm sitting at our, our headquarters building right now. And uh, when I look at my window, I can see bits and pieces of the Golden Plow Lodge uh, and Northumberland County Archives building uh, going up. Uh, we, we see that every day as I drive into the office. So that's probably uh, one of our most exciting uh, things that are happening this, this year. Uh, we will uh, we won't finish construction until 2022, uh, but uh, anybody that is keeping an eye on that project here, you you can see that we uh, we are, are moving along there with, with lots of, of activity. So probably that one is, is is most exciting. We've already talked about Elgin Park, um, so so we will start um, that project um, before the end of the year. Um, the tender is out now, so. Uh, that tender should be awarded shortly. Uh, and then we'll see a portion of those buildings demolished and, and construction start. Um, so that um, is happening. Of course, there's always road construction projects happening. And um, we certainly hear when there's um, paving going on or, or other um, repair work. So uh, always lots of activity there. Um, we, I'm just looking at some of my notes here. What are some of our more exciting things that we're doing? Uh, we've talked about a lot of things around the Business Entrepreneurship Center and tourism and, and um, helping to, to stimulate um, our, our local businesses as we come out of the pandemic. Um, 
we've got um, a fair bit of um, work going on um, around community consultation. Uh, we just announced at council last week that for those, uh, since we spent so much time this morning talking about budget, um, we are doing a new uh, pilot tool uh, called Balancing Act. So for anyone that would like to try their hand at um, playing, playing with the county budget and, and how they might balance that, uh, they can give it a whirl. That'll be opened up, I believe it's August 3rd, and it'll be open for about a month that um, members of the public can go in uh, and, and try that out. Uh, we, of course, have lots of work going on uh, with community paramedics. We just talked a little bit earlier about um, how they've been supporting uh, COVID response but they do have a very uh, robust program um, in outreach, um, supporting those in, in homes. Uh, so they're continuing to, to move forward with that. Um, that was a brand new program uh, last year. So getting that program stabilized, uh, excellent feedback um, that we're, we're hearing uh, from our community there. Uh, we have now approved and submitted our community safety and well-being plan um, that has been launched. So we'll um, start working on um, how we're going to implement some of the uh, commitments that were in, in that document. There's a number of um, design uh, works. So Campbellford Bridge, and, you know, there's a big project that we haven't talked about yet today. Um, so design is about um, a third or a little more complete and they're continuing on that this year. So uh, another one that's, um, that, that's big. Uh, as far as, as the future, uh, we continue to work on the design and solidifying, or I guess starting design, but mainly solidifying the partnerships for the uh, um, Ontario Street housing development in Coburg. Um, so we'll see um, that start to formalize and move into the more detailed design um, there. Um, so of course, uh, a lot uh, a lot happening in, in housing, um, uh, some work happening with um, IT. Um, we'll see, um, we did mention some of the background work that's happened with broadband. Uh, so a, a lot of activity there as well. Um, I think some of what we're going to be doing in, in the second half of the year uh, is just um, stabilizing operations after we settle in after COVID and um, you know, folks are being re reintroduced for those that were working remotely, um, getting that back. We're, we're moving to uh, a few more in-person services and getting those, those, those back to, to where um, they were. But some, some of our programs, you know, virtual options will probably stay to a certain degree and have more, um, more choice uh, for our residents in, in how they receive their services. So, um, yeah, lot, lots of activities. Um, and certainly um, we, we look forward to, you know, there's always funding opportunities that we have applications in. And um, if we get the go ahead, then we, we sometimes have more projects that we get to work on. So uh, lots of exciting stuff. And, and we're right in the middle of budget planning now to see what we're doing for 2022. <laughs> Jennifer Moore, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. You're welcome. Always a pleasure. That was my conversation with Jennifer Moore, Chief Administration Officer for Northumberland County. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in. And I hope over the week you will continue to consider this.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.